0: welcome one and all i'm chris stone the virtual agile coach and this is the virtually agile podcast the pod that shares conversations with agile thought leaders as well as amplifying newer voices you'll hear about agility virtual working and everything in between if you find value in listening don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice it is the very best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land enjoy the show Okay, so good evening folks, this is the first of a series of YouTube interviews that I'm doing um, and today I'm speaking with Lisa Adkins, the incomparable Lisa Adkins. Um, for, for those of you who, uh, who don't know her, she wrote one of the seminal books on, on Agile coaching, Coaching Agile Teams, have it right here with me here and uh, I understand recently, Lisa, you've released this as an audio book as well. How was, how was that experience? How did you find translating the, the written word to the spoken?
1: Well, the experience was a lot of fun, and it was early pandemic, so it created a sense of stability and a metronome in my life that I really needed <clears throat> at that time. And um, it was really fun re- rediscovering, the words the meaning and asking myself the question is it still relevant because that book is now 10 years old and um yeah it was turned out to be still relevant i i changed words here and there mostly because the use of our language has evolved in 10 years um but the content and the meaning is all the same
0: excellent i was was just that was going to be kind of a follow-on question that you've preempted amazing is, <laughs> is, is there is there is it entirely relevant? Would yeah, you know, for example, are there any sections that you would have updated? Is there anything that you would alter slightly to be more relevant today? Or is there is there more you do in a certain topic because you've learned it's it's more important now than ever?
1: Well, the Coaching Agile Teams book has a certain function. And it does that function well, which is introduces people to a way of thinking about Agile coaching, what are the allied disciplines that are involved in Agile coaching, what's the, the individual inner work that people have to do to be good at this role of, of, of being in Agile coaching and some kind of Agile coaching role. So it, it functions. Of course, the profession of Agile coaching has advanced in 10 years, and I had the choice of do I write a second edition and record that. And as I thought about that, I realized that essentially, if I wrote a second edition, what I would be doing is just pointing to other people's work and pulling it together in one place. Now, that was a useful function 10 years ago, but I didn't think it was useful now. And I think that those people need the light spotlight put on them in their own right. And so what I did instead of writing a second edition was that I recorded with Leslie Morse and the Women in Agile podcast Um, a 10 topic and I think it's a 13 or 14 podcast series Um, and we dive into those things that I would have you know pointed to other people's work or said hey here's the models I use now or here's how I think about this in a more advanced way the way the coaching Agile teens book says it is still relevant and once you've immersed that once you've really taken all that in now come to this content so that's what the podcast series is about
0: sounds great I, i'm definitely someone who buys into that shorter sharp bite size of, of content and i think what the way you describe the book as well is is not necessarily intended to be read from start to finish chapter by chapter as so you you dip in and dive into the certain topics as they become more or less relevant to yourself and rereading this again recently i was still struck by how so many of the things that you that you recommend the oh. techniques for starting new teams and things like that they're all entirely relevant still and in fact I, I was thinking the other day, could I could I sit down genuinely and start converting some of these techniques into templates that people can use and the likes of Miro and Mural and things like that. And I'm very tempted to do that because I think that, that, again, it'd be very valuable for people if they could just say, oh, I just want to try this Lisa Radkins technique and I can just press a button and, and there it is and I can go with my team.
1: Well, you're right on time because I just did a a um, a web a webinar with Lucid, the folks at Lucid. They make a Lucid chart, Lucid spark. It's a thing like Mural and Miro. And um, one of the things they did was take the high-performance tree and that whole notion of helping a team craft their own journey toward high-performance, and they brought it into their tool as a template. And it's really cool. It has like a facilitation guide down on the left-hand side with numbers 1 to 15, and then the numbers show up, you know, all over the the layout of the template. And so, it's a it's not like something that I would want an Agile coach to do every single retrospective because it's not the way of doing it, but it's a cool starter. It's a cool one known pattern that works, you know, much like agile uh, practices themselves. they're just one known pattern that works to give us the values we're going for underneath it. So I think you're right on time. Maybe you just join with those guys over at lucid and, you know, take more things out of the book and, and do that. I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: Perhaps indeed. I definitely like the idea of you know, say it's, it's dipping into that, that, that approach, that template for use as part of a retrospective for as and when the team needs. I'm, I'm yep. a big fan of creating... I create new retro templates every week. I'm going to create mm-hmm. 52 this year. Currently on number nine. Today's one, today's one was a Pokemon-themed one. Last week it was Dive Punk. I've done Harry Potter and Lord, all, all sorts of retro templates just because it, it mixes things up a, thing, a little bit. It it asks questions in an immersive way uh, that provokes different thinking, I find, rather than it just being, what did we do last time? What are we going to do next? You know? Yeah. Because people can switch off if it's that stale... Um, well, if you,
1: ask, if you ask those stale questions, you're going to get stale answers.
0: Absolutely.
1: And so I love it. I love what you're doing. And, and, and what you're doing is enacting, um, I think, like the biggest aha I had about retrospectives is that they're so different in patterning and in, and in intention from what we did before in post-mortems or lessons learned meetings. Um, because we're not trying to draw out everything we did well, everything we didn't do well, what well, we want to change, like long lists. what we're trying to do is help the team look back on the last short period of time through a different lens. Yes. Just so they can like grab the, Oh, that's interesting. Let's try that one next time. Cause we just need a couple of things they want to try next time. That's the whole purpose.
0: <coughs> this is why one of no. my, my favorite quotes comes from probably my favorite, uh, themed retrospective, the Elvis one. And that, uh, that, that, that retrospective basically uses the Elvis discography to, uh, to get people thinking different, differently. So, an example would be a, a little less. <laughs> all con- shook up. What do we do with all shook <laughs> up? All shook up. Yeah. Uh, you know, what would we do different? What could we try differently? What experiment do we it. try next? Right. We do um, a little less conversation, a little more action. What are we always talking about, but not actually doing? Right. And, and love this, this, this I love it. I For me, is is, is it, I I always reference it. You know, if if you're doing a retrospective and you're just talking and talking and talking, but not actually identifying improvements that you're going to pull into your sprints and start working on next. It's too much conversation, a little, a little, you know, not enough action.
1: I love it. I love it. Got a little more action. I can hear the song now. My, my grandmother was a great Elvis fan.
0: But also, <laughs> I'm a firm believer that work can be fun if you if you make time for it. If you allow it to be with a little bit of creativity, just imagine a scenario: you're sat with a team and you're playing Elvis in the background, and you're doing these retrospectives. And yeah, different, different thinking. I find when I've done these, it resonates very well with the teams I work with because they, they enjoy a change of pace. With that in mind, Lisa, if if you could choose any retro template, a new one that didn't exist yet, what what theme might you choose? Because I might just create it.
1: Fish in a river.
0: Fish in a river. All right.
1: Go, Chris. I'll do
0: it. I'll do it. <laughs> you know, it's going to be bait related. What what's the top bait? I don't know. I'll 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 sit down. I'll get my creative. There's all know.
1: kinds of things.
0: And I'll, I'll <laughs> think of things. I'll think of things. And I'll, I'll let you know when I've created it
1: i love it i love it that's awesome cool Mm. Uh,
0: again one of the reasons i like to do this because it is it focuses on the human you know each each team has Mm -hmm. their own microculture, their own identity you know some some are comprised with hardcore video gamers some of them you know like certain music genres and things like that and by by doing an immersive theme with them you're allowing them that experience And, and i find yeah it makes time for that personal interaction and i know you're a a huge proponent of this and as am I one of my one of my values is being people first I've got a, a little logo here uh, guardians of agility is one of my my groups <laughs> of people that I work with and I've got a little Groot who's my totem who sits on my oh, desk. I love he it he reminds me to be people first um so yeah that, that was a, t- a topic of conversation I wanted to talk with you um why is in your experience being someone who's a people first a human first advocate so important today
1: I'm not sure that I am a people first advocate. Okay. Ooh, that's Ooh. scary. Um, <clears throat> so what? What I think is going on, as I look at the world, is that is that we are struggling. We are struggling to figure out how to have an impact on this planet that is um, somehow useful and beautiful and thriving but also regenerative or at the very least sustainable. And I think that that, that desire is what pulls me forward and what, and that desire is what ends up putting people first because who's going to decide how we go forward. It's going to be people until we have AI, which will then start deciding for us. So that, that's a whole nother thing. And When the AI initially is going to be based on us. And so this is why I'm very much interested in consciousness and in shifting consciousness as fast and as easily as humanly possible for as many people as possible on the planet. Because I see us just recapitulating the same errors over and over again, the same sort of low frequency fighting and power games. And I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted from it. I'm exhausted from watching it, I'm exhausted from looking at it in history, I'm exhausted from thinking about things like us landing on Mars and setting up a human presence there, how we're going to recapitulate all this low frequency infighting and in AI, we've got to shift. We've got to shift. And so it's, it's a byproduct of that vision that has people be first because people are the shifters.
0: Okay. Interesting. I love the uh, segue into AI. I wasn't expecting the direction of, of conversation to go there, but I don't mind. I love a little, 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 little thought about uh, what, what's the what's the what's the concept? There's a there's a term. Is it singularity for when AI takes over the singularity yeah. that that point when AI outpaces uh, the human capability. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Lots of uh, dystopian films on that topic. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I started paying attention to dystopian futures when my daughter was in uh, the age of like 12 to 15. And all, and I'm talking all, the young adult fiction at that time was about dystopian futures.
0: Hunger Games, other things like that, right? Yeah.
1: All of it. The things she was being assigned to read at school were also about dystopian futures. I mean, it was really terrifying to me. And so I noticed that we've got, we definitely have this recognition they were on a path that could create something like that pretty easily, right? And, um, yeah, so I don't, I'm not convinced that we will create a dystopian future. I'm convinced that if we stay as we are, we will. <clears throat> but I think that we as human beings are poised for a leap, like a discontinuous leap, like one that we can't even conceive of right now. Let me give you a simple Analogy that a friend of mine who's a, who's mentoring me in some of this stuff right now mentioned. She said at the, at the turn of the last century, so like 1901, mm-hmm. New York City was booming. Now, the mode of transportation at that point was horse and buggy, horses and carriages, lots of them. Tons and tons and tons of horses and buggies all over New York City. And the city planners were freaking out. They said, what are we going to do with all this horse shit? You know, the city is going to be overflowing with horse shit. and And they're so focused on dealing with the horse shit. And what happened within a decade was that the motor car became popular. And the motor car, within a very short period of time, replaced the horse and buggy. No horse shit problem. Totally different problems. But we had transcended that problem in a way that we couldn't have even begun to foresee those city planners did not see the car coming and so i think we're in a a moment like that that we're in a bunch of horse shit right now we're trying to get through it and we don't know that something completely different is coming and i'm i'm hoping i'm believing that something is
0: interesting and i think what you've mentioned there, you've actually segued a little bit into one of my one of my favourite quotes when when working with teams, and it, it talks around that exact scenario, the the evolution of transport from horse and buggy to to cars. And I I'm a believer that people you know, agile teams, agile companies should be very user centric, customer centric, absolutely. But I think sometimes it can go a little bit too far because, as you say, back then people wouldn't have envisioned that a car would be possible. Right. If you rely only on what customers are asking for to drive what you produce, you don't end up with those innovations. So what was it? Um, Henry Ford, who said, if I asked for what the people wanted, I would have ended up with faster horses, not cars.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, I mean, I think I think there is a place for vision. I think there is a place for people who are really connected to whatever source energy exists on our planet and in our universe to get those big ideas, download those big ideas and execute them. And it's not going to be something someone asks for.
0: Okay. Very nice. Slightly linked to that, that topic, though, I'm actually very heavily linked to that topic then. So we were talking about people. In this current climate, you know, we've, we've got people primarily interacting with one another as you and I are now. It's, it's face-to-face in a, in a vein, mm-hmm. but it's it can increasingly become a bit like you're talking to an avatar behind a screen. And, and therefore, I think I've observed and others, others have also that can result in a bit of a, a dehumanization situation where you're thinking of someone as just a, an avatar or just a name behind a screen. Mm. So my my question to you is how do you in your work, what what, what what advice or guidance could you give to anyone working in this environment right now to enable that, that human focus despite the fact that we're not perhaps face-to-face and having that, that connection there? Hmm.
1: Well, I think what's interesting is that you can't necessarily do virtually what you couldn't do in person. Okay. So the place I would have people look first is what were their skills for genuinely connecting with others in person and what's missing from that skill set that they would need to shore up before they can do it virtually? Okay. Yeah. So I've been talking recently. I did a couple sessions at conferences on something called Connection School because I've been thinking about this. That I think you attended the one I did at remote, the remote uh, oh, Forever Summit. It, yeah. yeah. Because I've been thinking about this and just like the idea of like, give me a tip or trick, Lisa, for connecting better online. And I'm like, well, if you couldn't connect in person, it's going to be really hard to connect online. So let's like, let's back up this horse a little bit and see what needs to be done there. So there might be some skills for that. I think the other thing, Chris, is that we might be getting ready to get disembodied. So I just, I mean, I don't know if you've done much exploration in VR, but I have been doing some exploration in VR <clears throat> just really recently, actually. But I am, I mean, I'm immersed to the point where I'm like, okay, this is going to change everything.
0: I've i have dabbled. I definitely have. I, I did a VR experience in, <laughs> in Dubai, and it was this experience where you go in and you're, you're moving around a physical maze. So it's not just you're seeing things, you're interacting with things as well, and you've got... When, yep. you're, when you're inside the, the, the machine, in the, inside the game, you're kind of flying on this um, futuristic device through a, a world of dinosaurs below you and seeing them. And the same time you've got a fan blowing on you to make it feel like you're physically there flying through the sky um, and you're touching things like that. And it's, it was it was great. Again, I, I don't think we're, we're mm-hmm. quite there yet. And I love the, uh, the Westworld TV show. One of my genuine beliefs is that in the future, we won't necessarily always holiday in physical destinations like i want to go to japan you might go i want to i want to visit Edo era japan and you go and. it's already happening
1: i mean i got i gotta tell you i got my oculus quest too the only thing i had to get over was the fact that it was owned by facebook and you have to attach your facebook thing to it but that was a hard thing to get over but once i got over that i'm in i tell you what the content in there already is spectacular spectacular I can absolutely see myself teaching in that environment. I could see myself coaching in that environment. I could see myself sitting down with people in spectacular locations that spark our creativity and our in our inspiration to come up with new ideas. Oh, it's it it's real. I
0: think I'll to dive into it, it further.
1: <laughs> and it's a little bit terrifying because we are completely then disembodied. We are our voices and our minds and an avatar walking around interacting with things. But you're right, you can pick up stuff. Um, I am told by a friend of mine who's been doing this for a while that when she hugs her son she can feel the hug. Like a
0: happy um, feedback suit or things, things like that. You can do those?
1: I don't no, I don't I don't think it's like that. Okay. I don't think she's got a whole bunch of hookups or anything like that. I think it's just it is much more um, real to us than this flat screen that you and I are on right now. The flat screen is probably more of an issue um, for a genuine connection than the fact that it's intermediated by the fact that our connection is intermediate intermediated by technology.
0: Fascinating. Again, I'm not as versed as you are on VR side so things. Perhaps I'll have to Well it's
1: brand this. new for me, but I tell you, I am just addicted to it. Oh. I dove in because I'm like, okay. We're not coming out of this pandemic anytime soon. And when we do, I'm pretty sure people are not going to be moving around the planet like in a snap like we used to. I certainly will not be. I'll be thinking twice, three, four times before I get on a plane in the future. Mm. I don't think I'm alone in that. So, you know, ha- and, and we can do so much work from our homes. Can do, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've got to believe there's just a ton of money going into R&D for virtual environments.
0: I'm seeing more, more of these virtual concepts, uh, virtual conference concepts springing up with lots more ability to jump into a, a, a quick room and a physical table you sit on and things like that. And, and again, VR being inside that, I think there's, there's going to be far more of that. Yeah. The, the, the low-touch economy, I think they're calling it. There's going to be evolutions towards that.
1: Low-touch economy. What does that mean? I haven't heard that before.
0: So if we think about the fact that we took for granted a year and a half ago right you'd meet someone you'd shake their hand you'd go and do things in certain environments oh not not touching things as much anymore so Uh, therefore our behavior will shift a little bit towards yeah more virtual experience not you know being being reluctant to just jump into a situation where you're surrounded by i don't know another hundred people on the same subway tube carriage whatever that may be Hmm. fascinating that's
1: fascinating yeah yeah, I mean one of these one of these apps I found, which is a teaching app, has virtual whiteboards that people can stand at and write on together, write stickies, post them, write on each other's stickies. I mean it just it seems sort of like real life, but but none of us have to be in the same physical space.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Right. Oh. So we, we've we've kind of touched a little bit upon you mentioned human behavior and repeating the errors of the past and things like that. Um, and to me, a very hot topic at the moment is is the concept of failure, right? I think it's it's heavily stigmatized still. I believe we need to rebrand failure as learning, uh, and this is something that I'm a big proponent of. And I'm often encouraging fellow coaches of mine, "Hey, I messed up last week, or I, I did this. Mm-hmm. Let me share that story with you, and let's let's exchange stories, let's learn from each other in that respect." And I, I observe. Even coaches who are working with teams saying, hey, fail fast, learn often, and things like that, (laughs) are are themselves reluctant to share failures. Mm -hmm. So I would love to invite you to share a particular failure or something you've learned recently from your working experience.
1: So my failures don't get big. So you're not going to get like a gigantic, oh, my gosh, this was such a big failure, and it was such a big deal for me to reveal it, because I'm revealing my failures all the time. Um, and the failures are usually in, um, where most failures start, which is in human interaction. So, um, hmm, probably the one that's coming to mind the most right now is just how often my mind makes assumptions and jumps to stereotypes and assumptions and, um, and admitting those is no big deal. But when, but when I'll talk about how I admitted it in a moment, but when you don't admit it and you're not aware of it and then it gets bigger and then it causes some other external thing to happen, then it becomes more dicey to admit it. And so I think the idea of admitting failure is sort of immediately, to the, to the extent that you can understand that it's happened, is useful. <clears throat> this is a coaching client of me talking with me about She's now the manager of um, ninety people. Half of them are in Bangalore. Half are in the United States, and um, and they've just gotten the results of uh, a survey back about um, how people are feeling, about how things are going in the organization, and the role of managers and that sort of thing. And they're getting. She's getting a lot of feedback about, um, well, when you managers answer emails on the weekend, it makes us feel like we have to as well. And we get down this road and we start talking and I realize, and I said something about, oh, oh, and this must be really a big issue in Bangalore where the power distance is such a big deal and hierarchy is such a big deal. And I went on and on for about two minutes about how, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that's the, the uh, truth and that, you know, here's, here's what you might want to do about it, blah, blah, blah. We're checking it out. And she's like, "No, it's actually not the people in Bangalore. It's people here in California." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my God! Look at my assumption. Look at my stereotype. Look at how I, um, I have like this oppressor inside of me." Wow, I'm really sorry about that. So let me just erase all that. What I said, and let's come back to what's true for you. So that's sort of what it sounded like in the moment.
0: And that that topic in particular, again, is something I I often see uh, in particular from people in, in leadership roles. They're answering emails at silly hours of the morning and, they're, and they're, ex, they're setting the expectation that it's normal behavior and others will often follow suit. So I'm more than happy to sit in front of a CTO and say, hey, if you keep doing that, you're gonna reinforce that behavior. And if we want to try and get a sustainable working practice for people where they don't mm-hmm. feel like they're being burnt out and having to be on 24 seven, we need to change as well, because if we don't take any action, odds are we're gonna be talking about the same problem again in the future. Yeah, Einstein's definition but, salty, right?
1: Yeah, and that's a perfectly reasonable way to go in a situation like that. And another way to go is instead of making a new rule, don't answer emails at night, open the possibility for a new kind of conversation. So, for example, if that manager gets energy from working on Sunday night, And answering emails so that the people, when the people wake up in Bangalore, they've got answers for certain things. What happens if that manager, that vice president, CTO, whatever, what happens if that person reveals, here's what gives me energy, here's when I work, here's what I do and do not expect in terms of your response. Here's my strength finder and my Myers-Briggs typology, here are ways of interacting with me that really work for me. As a way not necessarily of saying here now it's all on you to interact with me but hey i'm going to be a first mover and tell you how i work so that we can now engage in a conversation about what works for you and have a way that we can all work together really well instead of making a role which is going to cut someone off
0: i completely agree it's an absolutely fair challenge it's actually why In that same vein, I subscribe to, you know how teams have team charters that that align everyone's expectations as to their vision and goal and things like that. Mm -hmm. Increasingly throughout this pandemic, I've been encouraging teams and even organizations to say, right, why don't we create a remote working charter? Why don't we define? Makes a lot of sense. What does does good remote working look like? What is bad? What what makes it bad for us? How would would we Mm -hmm. like to work? And again, coming back to and distilling probably one of the most powerful messages I I took away from your book, it was take it to the team. Take it to the people. Ask their opinion. Don't just enforce an arbitrary rule. Take it to them. Find out what their thoughts are. Because even if you don't actually end up going with something someone suggested, the fact they've had a voice is far more motivating.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And what you're talking about is um, the professional coaching world has a phrase for it. It's called designing an alliance. You can design an alliance about anything. My husband says to me, "We're, you know, going somewhere." Okay, I want to design an alliance with you about this before we head out. Okay, honey, let's do that.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I use Kanban to manage my my working life and things like that, and I, I do very regularly uh, utilize agile techniques. So I do I do individual retrospectives and do daily mm-hmm. standups with myself in the form of journaling, things like that. And these are the little techniques mm-hmm. that help me curtail the big failures coming back to what you were saying earlier i like that i like that because that's cool yeah solo Spective once a week i sit down and i'll i'll think about what what's what's Mm -hmm. what's gone well what hasn't gone what helped me achieve my goals what didn't help me achieve my goals those sorts of things and actually leading to my next question a recent video you shared was around your value journal right and you're you're planning to capture people's thoughts around this topic over the the next month of my understanding when I when I, I watched that video recently, it inspired me to add to my daily ritual of journaling to say, right, what value am I bringing? To, what value do <laughs> I bring today? Because one, I think that's it's also great from a kind of a positivity perspective, a gratitude perspective, mm-hmm. but also allow it challenge you to think, right? How am I going to bring value? If I haven't, if I, if I can't really list anything, what have I been doing? What could I do better? Yeah, so it's I... added to my added to my daily journaling as of as of yesterday, and uh, I'll let you know how that goes.
1: Yeah, please do. I'm really curious what kinds of things people write down. I'm curious what, um, you know, what insights they come up with, like you just said. You're like, I might realize that I'm actually not doing anything. I'm just running around answering emails and being on Zoom calls. And at the end of the day, I'm like, what did I actually do? That would be great information to know, you know. So I'm just really curious to see what happens for people. Um, I use something very similar, but my work is is not with agile delivery teams anymore. So, um, but I really want it to be with people who are working with delivery teams and learn from them. Mm. You know, maybe this is still a valuable practice. Maybe not. We'll find out.
0: Only one way to find out by trying, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks for joining that. That is I, really I awesome.
0: It, I liked it. I said it inspired me. I, I've, I've added it to my list now. So we'll see how that goes. I've already noted out that something I did recently is I led a, a, a town hall style session for the tech division of the company I work, I work for. And I'm a big fan of making these, these immersive experiences. So I managed to find a template in the Myroverse that made it look like this big house and it walked people through various sections and, wow. and there was there was um there was a section in there that was about remote working, you know. So it is it had, you know, dot voting style things on. Is is facilitating facilitating a meeting, is it an art or a science? You know, what mm. makes it good or bad? Is it is it large large meetings or, or small meetings and things like that just to capture people's thoughts. And it came away from that session, people saying, oh, that was a great interactive session. Rather than just being talked at, we were mm-hmm. involved and it was it was, mm. it was a bit more engaging. So that was one of the things I wrote down, led that session, people enjoyed it. I got feedback. Bravo.
1: Yeah. Bravo. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, and you think about, wow, that's a lot of work for Chris to put into that. And then the next thought I think about is think about the time and the cost of people's time who attended that, that work was probably well worth it.
0: I like to think so, Yeah, <laughs> well, I hope so anyway. Yeah. So final question, I'm conscious of our, of our time. It's just a very simple one. What to you would you say is your favorite of all the, the Agile ceremonies? What would, would you subscribe to most? If you could tell a brand new Agile coach, or an existing coach or something to double down in one area, what would it be?
1: The one that's coming to mind right now is the daily stand-up. Okay. Because I think that, I think our habits of hiding run really, really deep. Um, and we are we are um, conditioned. We're conditioned to hide, you know, how things are going. So we want to look right, look good, look look like we're right. Um, so the daily stand-up is specifically for creating more transparency and specifically for um, containing Failures into a very small slice of time. Um, and the more people can start uh, recognizing and claiming their failures, um my one of my business partners says, more and more responsibility, less and less blame. Just take just take more and more responsibility, give out less and less blame. It's all gonna go really well. And I think that that's what the daily standup could do for us.
0: And would you say how would you say, be the, the tip you would give to any coaches to make those daily stand-ups more effective? How could you try and drive that message home more for teams?
1: Well, the, um, the number one tip I would give is when, as a coach, you smell something is not quite right, instead of trying to figure it out yourself, ask a question that would have them talk to them about it. And so what it might sound like is, let me think about scenario. Um, It might sound like someone has just run on and on and on about what they're doing, but you're sitting there going, I don't really understand, like that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So instead of trying to jump in and figure that out, ask a question like, "So, so who understands what was just said? And get Very them powerful. to talk about it. Because yeah. so what, what that does is just create more and more information flow about the human system. It creates more transparency. They can, and, as, and as soon as they start talking about it, now they have more information they can self-organize around.
0: Sure. I like that. The way I handle that scenario is I actually encourage teams, don't talk about yesterday. Yesterday is the past, and you can't change it. It's irrelevant. Actually, what we want to do is focus on how we can help each other achieve our goal and um, nice. by by focusing on the past it almost does feel status report like it's like oh i did this when mm-hmm. actually all we really want to know is what can we influence next how mm-hmm. can we help each other achieve our, our common goal so i i encourage teams not to think about the past too much and focus mm-hmm. on what's next what, what can we nice. do today
1: you know chris i'd like to be on one of your teams <laughs> i think it sounds like fun
0: glad to hear it well i mean that <laughs> that is that was going to be my other tip when it comes to my personal virtual tip for uh, enabling personal interaction and things like that. Basically, I don't mind being a fool of, making a fool of myself. So I've got all sorts of hats and masks and things like that that I'll just chuck on during meetings and make it a bit fun. See, this is why I like you.
1: Yeah, I've got all kinds of hats here. Now, this is only because we've moved to the virtual world. It makes it so easy. Oh, I like that one. It makes it really easy to have hats and tiaras and stuff. And, oh, and I uh, I got you like yet. that one? That's what a good I've one, right?
0: That. And, and what, the fact that you're wearing red right now made you look like a, a ringleader at a circus.
1: Yeah. Good, right? Nice. Fun stuff.
0: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this evening. Thank you very much for your time. What is that? It's been a great time talking to you. This
1: is Forky. This is my new favorite character on Toy Story 4. It's a okay. hilarious, hilarious character. And I had to have a Forky doll for my birthday. My daughter thought I was crazy, but she bought it for me. So Nice. I did, actually do a, uh, I
0: did a Buzz Lightyear themed retrospective based on one of the, one of the teams. They had, a, they had a project called Project Lightyear. So they said, oh, can we have a, a themed retrospective? So we'll it's nice! like, a whole Buzz Lightyear. Nice! I'll do a Toy Story themed retro for you. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you very much again. Been a pleasure. And uh, I'll speak to you sometime later.
1: Yeah, sounds great, Chris.
0: Bye now. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile Podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.